0: So I'm going to read a scripture, it's a question that God asks Adam, then I want to look at God, us in relationship to God, and how we can find ourselves. So let's look at Genesis 3, 6 to 13. And it says this, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed. I did think, you know, maybe we could have somebody to model this for me today. In the past, we've usually had Rob Pitts to do a model thing up here. But I thought, Rob, in fig leaves? No, we'll leave it, and we'll move on from that one. Not not that that's a problem, Rob, but I think, you know, it, it probably wouldn't work in here. Okay, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman put, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So if we know the story, if you don't know the story in the beginning, God makes the world and it says the world is good. He makes Adam, you know, he he reflects on it, he looks at it, really pleased that he's made man in his image and what he's made is wonderful. And this wonderful harmony in creation of God, God's love in creation and Adam having responsibility and having a wonderful world to live in, yet we see Adam and Eve be deceived by the serpent and then reject God. They reject God and his commands and say, I'm not really going to trust God. I'm going to trust actually what this other voice is saying to me. You know, but what I love about this story is God's response to Adam's sin. You see, Adam at this point is feeling lost. He's feeling rejected. He's feeling shameful. But I believe we can learn something from God. God. And if we can look at God and not our circumstances or our past, we can actually learn who we are in the eyes of God. Not in the eyes of us, not in the eyes of our circumstances or our past, our history, but in who God is. And if we can learn who God is, then we can actually learn who we are. We can find our position in this world. You see, if we look at God, the first thing we can learn is God never changed. God never changed. I don't know about you, but when you do something wrong, what do you think God is like towards you? Do you think God has changed when you trip up and make a mistake? When you say something wrong, do you think God wants to punish you? And, you know, what do you think of God? Do you think he's gone more distant from you when you do something wrong? Or is God still the same as he was when you were doing things good? Do you hear what I'm saying? You see, if we have a wrong image of God in our relationship to him, we will position ourselves in a place where we think we are lost, rejected, and no good. You see, sin hint here, the deception of it, God made what was good. The deception was, it is no longer good. So we look at ourselves sometimes because of sin, and we just think we're not good enough. Anybody else do this? I'm never going to be good enough. See, that sin that's entered into God's creation and corrupted it, that is not the voice of God. So my other question this morning we'll get to is, who are you listening to this morning? Who told Adam he was naked? Who told Adam there was shame in his life? Who told Adam he's no longer good? Who is telling you something this morning? Are you hearing me? And if we can understand who God is, we can understand what his voice is towards us, and we can find our position in God. That we're no longer lost, but we're found. We're no longer rejected, but we're accepted. But there's a battle for your life that is speaking over your life, that God has paid for over your life. But you have a choice if you position yourself in God, or position yourself in your past, or position yourself to this world, you have a choice to position yourself in relation to God. So let's look at God. What can we find about him? The first thing is he doesn't change. How amazing is this? It's not changing. So we change in all circumstances and things and we get hurt, we get, we've got brokenness, but God doesn't change. How are is that? It's a good job he doesn't change. As we'd be stuffed. Let me read James 1:17. He's talking about what God wants to give to the new believers in the New Testament. And he says this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change or variation of turning. There is no shadow in God. There is no dark in God. God is light. So he doesn't look at us through the eyes of, I, I see your sin anymore. He actually sees us through Jesus, who is the perfect sacrifice and is not no shadow in Jesus, but his holiness. So he looks at you through his eyes and goes, look at my child. Look at my son. Look at my daughter. And he's not going to change his mind over you because he doesn't change. He's constant in your life. Now, I know circumstances change. I know life's hard sometimes. And I've heard myself say this before when something happens. God, where are you? Where are you? I think God asks me the question. Paul, where are you in relation to me? Do you see what I'm saying? We put it on God and say, God, where are you? God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. God's trying to teach us to put our lives on him as a rock, as a solid foundation, to establish the truth in our lives that says, I love you, my love is constant, it does not change. But we have two parts of us, which is a spirit person, if you're born again, and we have a flesh that is still fastened to this world and is learning to be transformed by the renewing of its mind to learn the truth that I am a child of God and I am loved. No matter what happens, I am loved. Now, that's a journey for all of us to go on and to discover the love of God and the depth of his love that we will never fully discover because it's a mystery like marriage. You can't work somebody else and say, I got Sarah now. No, I don't because it's a relationship and people people will always discover something new about each other. Do you see what I'm saying? So, we don't have it all together, but we're on a journey of discovering the love of God and the depth of God, the peace of God, the joy of God, the presence of God. Wow, I can discover a God who is constant and doesn't change. Yet, our circumstances change, and the circumstances tell us all about us and our relationship to Him. That's what it does. That's why James says, consider it pure joy when you're going through the trial. Because you can discover something new about God and the hope and the love and the depth of who he is for you. Are you still with me? God doesn't change. Romans 2.17 says, for God shows no partiality. I love this. I love this. That God looks at all of us and doesn't have favorites. Now some people might say, well, God does pick people out. Yeah, he does, but he's not a kind of person who chooses one over the other, that not one is better than the other. We're rubbish at this. We, we're rubbish at it. We, we, we put people in boxes and compare and think we're better because they are less fortunate than us. And, we're, and if we're not careful, we put ourselves above people and think we're better. There's no partiality in God. And we have to understand that God's not looking at me. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not good enough. My past, my history, it's all right for them. They're reading this. No, God's not doing that. He doesn't change. He's not partial to people. He simply loves you for who you are and doesn't change. And we can see this with Adam. He doesn't move away from Adam. He comes to Adam. What kind of image have you got of God? Have you got a God that moves away from you when you do things wrong? Have you got an image that God actually comes towards you in your difficulties? And says, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm not against you. Come on, you can get through this. Come on, come on, get back up again. Come on, I'm with you, Adam. I'm for you, not against you. Somebody's cheering me on this morning. Hallelujah. Isaac means laughter. We love it in the house. Okay, my second point is this. He moves towards, just mentioned it. So, God doesn't change, but actually God moves towards us. Have you got an image? Sarah read it the other week from the parable. The father running undignified, running to God to his son who was about to be shamed, but he was willing to put aside his pride and what people thought about him to actually give his life to to rescue his son. Do you have an image of God doing that for you? You see, if we have a right image, we'll understand our position, as I said before. But if we have a wrong image, we'll kind of think, oh, I'm not sure where God is and I'm lost again. I'm not sure that I'm good enough. God's saying, I've come towards you. I've sent my son for you. I'm not leaving or abandoning you. I've come after you. You know, and sometimes it's hard, it's not easy when things are painful and we lose people. You know, I, we've had recently had loss in our family and, you know, I see the, the pressure on my mom and the disappointment and the anger and, the, and just such pain that has come into this world through what happened with Adam. Death has entered and it causes pain. But God hasn't changed. And he's still moving towards us in our difficulties He's not abandoning us. Let him come closer to you. Have a realization that he is with you. And he can't be any closer than he's made for you. He moves towards. And then I love this, what it says. He calls out to Adam or the man. He calls out. Do you know that you're called by God? God is calling you. Come on. Come on, I've got a new life for you. Come on, come on. He calls out to Adam. He doesn't abandon him or leave him. He calls out to him. He says, where are you? I'm not leaving you. Come on. You know, when we were kids, I don't know if you still do this, if young people do this, we used to go knock on for each other. Does that still happen in these days? I know everything's online. Do you actually have real relationships and and go and knock on doors? Does that happen? Did you go knock on doors when you were younger? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a good way, not robber's knock, right? We never did that, right? But we used to go knock on doors. I remember going knock on. He's, not, he's, he's, he's out with a little one. Johnny, my friend, he lived at the top of the estate. So I'd say, I'm going to go out now. And you'd go and find him. You'd knock on his door, rat-a-tat-tat. And his mum would come and say, he's not coming out. He's been bad. I'm like, okay, Right? Then He was never like that. But then I'd go to the next door and you'd knock on the door and you'd go, here's Stephen. He'd say, no, he's not in. And I knew he was in. He just didn't want to come out and play with me. And then I'd go on to the next one and I'd knock on Albert's door. Albert, are you coming out? And Albert had opened the door. "Mom, can I go out? Yeah, but you've got to be back for six for your tea. It was always six for tea. No matter what was happening, it was always six for tea. Anybody else? Or when it goes dark. Didn't you love the summer when it goes dark? Woo, right? But you went and knocked on the door because you want to be with your mates, your friends. This is what God does to us. Comes to us, I'm knocking on your door. Are you in? Are you letting me in? I'll keep knocking till you let me in. Come on, I know your pain. I know your sin. I know your shame, but I'm still knocking because I don't change. And I'll keep knocking until you let me into your pain. And I'll keep knocking because I love you and I haven't changed. And I'm constant. And I'm everlasting. And my love keeps flowing for you. I'm knocking. Are you in? Are you in? I'm not going to open the door. God says, you open the door. I will not open that door. I'll knock with a love that's unconditional. But you're the one who opens the door into that area of your life. There's an amazing picture, a painting. I can't remember who did it. Somebody may have a time There's a picture, a painting, a famous one, a few hundred years ago, of a guy standing outside. It's Jesus with a lamp, and he's ready to knock on the door. But on the door, there's no handle. Have you seen that picture? Right? I think it's Hoff I can't remember his name. But there's, a, there's no handle on the door for Jesus to get in because the handle's the other side for you to open. But he keeps knocking. He's there with a the light. Come on, let me in. Let me into your disappointment. Let me into your, to your weakness. Let me into your inadequacy. Let me into your frailty. Let me into your bad stuff. And I'll come and help you and love you through it. Jesus is knocking. God calls out to Adam Where are you? Where are you today? Where are you in relationship with God? Do you know that God has given everything for you? That He's with you? That He's not going to let you down? Now we doubt him. What I find amazing about this story is what we can learn from Adam. This is a wonderful relationship between God and his creation. But as soon as sin enters the mind and the heart of Adam, what happens? He moves away and hides. The relationship is broken. There's a brokenness in the relationship. I can't trust anymore. He can't even trust himself, so how can he trust God? His image has been distorted of God because the trust or lack of trust is now in him because of his shame and his sin. He's now feeling rejected. I'm not good enough. I can't stand in the presence of God. I'm now no good because of what I've done. He's beating himself up. He's in shame. He's rejected. He's inadequate. He's now covering his shame with fig leaves because he's embarrassed because of what he's done. But what does God do? It says that God makes clothes out of furs and covers him. Wow. Do you have that image of God for your life? That the blood of Jesus covers you? It's a precious, precious gift from God to cover and wash your sins. Or do you have issues of rejection and inadequacy and abandonment? And we all have it. But don't let that stop you walking in the call of God over your life. Who's calling you out of inadequacy thinking. Who's calling you out of disappointment and heartache. Who's calling you out of being rejected by this world into a life of acceptance. Into a life of love love. In Jesus' name. Don't you just love God? So we can learn lots from Adam. We've all been like Adam, and we can all be like Adam. We can all doubt God's goodness because of the circumstances. I've done it on many occasions, doubted. What am I doing, God? Why has that person left the church, and now I feel rejected because it's the vision, and it's, I'm putting my heart into everything, and someone goes, we're just going to go a different church. And I'm like, what? I can take it really personal and it can really hurt me because I'm sensitive underneath, like all of us. Any guys in here this morning? We're sensitive. So what do we do? We defend our sensitivity. Oh, we'll just carry on. Come on. Come on. I've recently learned that I'm sensitive. I knew that anyway. But what I learned about myself is I was defending situations when I didn't need to defend them because I was scared of being me and revealing me because I'm weak. Does that make sense? So I'd say things to my kids and correct them because I thought I was right and actually just let them be themselves, stop correcting them. Do you hear what I'm saying? But it was coming out of my inadequacy or my fear of not being a good father. So I would defend my position and my opinion. And actually I'm not valuing them and how they're feeling. I'll tell you what. When I saw that, it broke my heart. It broke my heart. We can all be like this. We're all weak. We're all broken. Let's not try and be something that we're not. Let's learn to be ourselves. Are you still with me? I'm trying to make myself a little bit vulnerable for you this morning to tell you that I'm on this journey with you. We're not alone. Adam defends himself and blames others. There's a lesson for us to understand here in where we are at. Do you blame other people for the sin? Do you, are you blaming somebody for your, your unhappiness? Because if you are, it will not change your life. The only way to, just can you imagine this on this day? If Adam would have just said, God, I'm sorry. you think what it might have solved? You ever thought about that? It made me think as I was preparing this. How many times do we hold on to unforgiveness for periods of time that actually isn't helpful to me and to those who've sinned against me? How do I, do I hold on to unforgiveness or offense in my life? Because it won't rob the other person. It will only rob you in your destiny and your calling. Am I I'm making sense? And I just thought, you know what? Adam, what does he do? Blames the missus. If she'd only change, if she'd only sort her life out, then everything would be good. <laughs> and what does she do? She blamed somebody else. It wasn't me. I was deceived. No, you take responsibility for your life. Don't blame anybody else for your, for your life. Don't blame your past. Don't blame your friend. Don't blame the one who betrayed you. We've all got them. Don't blame people. Choose today to accept responsibility for your life. Say, I'm going forward with my life. I forgive those who've hurt me makes a choice. And I know it's hard and I know it's emotional and I know there's shame and I know there's weakness in there. But if you don't do it, you'll just be spiritually proud in your own selfishness and own flesh. The only way is the cross. Is a laying down of your life and recognizing your weakness. Do you know what I love this morning? Emma Kent getting up here in a weakness. I tell you what, that girl can Preach. She'll preach because it's not in her own strength. It's in God that we discover our power, not in ourselves. Emma's flapping now. I told her she'll preach one day. I'm not putting pressure on you, but you know, that's when you're weak and you understand that God changes your life, I'm sorry, God calls you to something then. It's not just about you and us having a good time, and I'll touch that in a minute. So, what can we learn from God he doesn't change he moves towards us he calls out and he covers us with <laughs> with in the in Adam's in Adam's circumstances it was clothes for us what's that covering is the covering of our sin through Jesus Christ i'm going to look at an example in the new testament let's turn to uh, we'll go to John 21 and this is a situation of somebody who said to Jesus, Jesus, I will never leave you. Has anybody ever said that? I'm going to do something, but you didn't do it. Has anybody ever said that? Is it just me? Right? Because of things that happen, you say you're going to do something, but you don't do it. This guy, Peter, he said to Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus says, no, actually, you will forsake me three times. Can you imagine how that felt? Can you imagine turning up to something? I'm turning up to Slimming World. Hi, come to Slimming World. Hi, yeah, I'm committed to this. I'm going to lose a stone, and the woman, whoever it is, says, "No, you won't. You'll put three on." Off you go. (laughs) Can you imagine? You wouldn't go back there, would you? Then you'd be even more determined. I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll stuff it, Mars bar. I'm showing it. You know why that is? Because he made a vow. He made a vow that he couldn't keep. And we all do that. We make vows. This will never happen to me again. I'll make sure no one hurts me again. I'll make sure that doesn't happen. I'll prove. I'll show you in life what I can do. They're vows. They're vows. You make a vow, it can stop you. You become God in the vow. Just being honest with you. Peter made a vow, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus knew there was spiritual pride in him that needed to be broken, needed to be humbled. He needed to understand what the cross was and what he was going to do. He could not do it in his own strength. So he lets him carry on, and then he forsakes Jesus three times. Even to a little girl, he's embarrassed and ashamed of Jesus. Oh, I can't do this. And he runs away, and he's living in guilt. He's living in rejection. He's living in shame, just like Adam in the beginning, because he thinks he's going to be better than Adam, but his own pride shows him that he's not. We've been there. Amen? So he's living in shame. What does Jesus do? Don't we just love Jesus? Remember, God doesn't change. Let's look at what Jesus do. It says in verse 5, he called, there you go, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Woo, don't you just love Jesus? Suffering with rejection, suffering with shame, what's God saying to us? Come on, friend, come and have some time with me. Are you hearing it? Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I've not read my Bible enough. I'm not, 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 I'm not. Are you hearing it? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Jesus saying, come on, friend, come to me. I'll show you what you are. I'll show you what you can become. Yes, I know you can't, but I can. Watch me what I can make of you. Come on, friend, come to me. It's not an enemy. He's not a master. He's a friend that gently calls to you. Come on, friend, come with me. Let me walk with you. Come on. I'm calling you. I'm calling you out of inadequacy. I'm calling you out of disappointment. I'm calling you out of this world into the kingdom of God, into the promises of God. You don't have to remain here. There's a new life. Church, you're called into a new life with God. I'm calling you as a friend, saying, Come on, come on, out you come. Are you still with me? Am I making sense? He's full of shame, Peter. He's full of guilt. Disappointment, he's let Jesus down. And then let's look what he says. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved, sorry, the disciple, probably John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord. See, his GPS is changing. He's realizing God's here. God was dead, but now he's alive. Something's changing with his positional, Uh, spiritual position now God hasn't let him down he's not disappointed with him Jesus is turning up into his life it is the Lord he wrapped his outer garment around him no shame let's pull it up let's wrap it around us let's get getting to Jesus and then he says he wrapped it in that garment for he had taken it off and jumped into the water I'm coming for Jesus anybody else? anybody willing to jump for Jesus? (laughs) Anybody willing to make a sacrifice for Jesus? You see, he calls him, calls him to himself. And then what does he do? He's moved towards him. He's called him. He could tell him off, Peter, Peter, have you not listened to the instructions at Slimming World? You not read the instructions on your Lego box? You jump straight in without, Peter, just just come here. What does he do? What's the image that Jesus wants to create with Peter? He makes him breakfast. Can you imagine? You're just sitting with Jesus for breakfast. All your shame and all your guilt and all your rejection issues. Jesus comes to you. Friend, come and sit with me. Have breakfast with me. What kind of image do you have of God Is he a God who's distant or is he a God who wants to sit with you at breakfast time? Just have breakfast with Jesus. We should start a ministry. Breakfast with Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? In all of the disappointment and all of the mess that this world has thrown at, all of the flesh that we disappoint and don't get there or we're feeling adequate, God's saying to you, I know how you feel like Peter. I know the shame that you have. I know, the, I know the doubt that you carry. But I'm still calling you as a child to come out. I'm not leaving you there. I'm coming to you and saying, eat with me. Partake of my food that I have for you. Listen to my words. Obey my words. And then he sits with Peter and he tells him, do you love me? I mean... Three times he asks him the question, maybe for each rejection that he'd dealt with. He takes him deeper and deeper. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He says, of course, I love you, Jesus. And then he says, go and feed my sheep. Go and serve me and look after people like I have looked after you. Like I have forgiven you and shown grace and love to you. Now you do the same to my people, my sheep, those who are lost. Go and love them like I have loved you. You know, there are a few other examples in scripture, but we haven't got time. Thomas, who was a doubter, is another example I heard this last month. Thomas, what does he do? He's like doubting Jesus and, you know, we all doubt Jesus, we doubt God. But what does Jesus do? He goes to him. He says, feel my hands. He comes to him and he calls to him. Come on, touch me, experience me, get to know me. I'm not abandoning you in your doubt, but I'm coming to you in love. Another example is the road, on the road to uh, Emmaus, where the two disciples are walking along. And you know what happens? They're all confused. We thought Jesus was the Messiah. We thought Jesus was going to do this for our lives. We thought Jesus would make this happen. And it didn't happen. And they're all confused. But what does Jesus do? He comes to them in their confusion and walks with them and opens up the scriptures. And all of a sudden they realize, wow, God is God and in full control. (laughs) I'm not in control of my life. God is in control of my life. God is in control of my destiny, not me. And it's made clear to them. And out of their confusion, now it becomes clear who God is. Are you with me? See, if we've got a clarity of who God is, we can understand who we are in God. But if we don't have a clarity of who God is, we'll doubt his goodness because of sin in this world. Jesus has paid for that so that we can find our place in God. I'm going to read what Paul the Apostle is also. He's a sinner. He's someone who's killed Christians, yet he encounters Christ, and he writes these words in Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. If anyone could have been ashamed of what he'd done, it was Paul. But Paul had come to Christ, encountered Christ, and understood the forgiveness of God, the shame, the, 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 the disappointment that he's done towards God. He had a new start. He became a new creation in Christ. And he could say, I am no longer ashamed." Has no shame on me, therefore I am not ashamed of what Christ has done for me. I can boldly preach the gospel that Jesus saved me, Jesus forgave me, and I have a new start. The line has been drawn, there is no condemnation, I know who I am as a child of God. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. No partiality again, God doesn't change, it is for everyone. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter your history, it is for all who believe, first you and also for the Greek. Anyone God the gospel's for. The power of God is available for all people. It's for you, for me, for anyone who is able to come to Jesus. Are you still with me this morning? Where are you this morning? In your relationship with God. Are you trying to do things in your own strength? We've all done that. Or are you willing to say, do you know what? I'm weak. I am weak. Can I say that in church? There's a part of us that is weak. And we cover up and try and be something that we're not. God just says, come as you are. Just like Peter, just like Thomas, just like Adam. Adam. God never gave up on Adam. Why would he give up on me and you in our weakness? You see, Paul recognized this, that power was perfected in weakness. Power is perfected in your weakness. Don't try and recorrect your weaknesses. Don't try and deal with your shame and your guilt. Just bring them to the cross and recognize, I need Jesus Christ in my life and I'm weak. Therefore, God will resurrect those areas of your life. Because you are weak. We're not going to remain weak. God wants to grow us from glory to glory. You know, today, if we get lost, most people, what do we do? We have, we have a GPS button. You know, most phones now, if you lose them, you can find them because of they've got something in them that can track them. Would you agree? You know, have you got a GPS button with God? God. Have you got a button that you know when you feel lost or you feel shamed of, you doubt that you can press your GPS button? Do you know that? Or do you wait for someone else? Or do you wait for the pastor to help you out? Or do you say, do you know what? And that's okay. I got a GPS button. What's my GPS button? First of all, God positions you in the sun. GPS, God positioning you in the sun. Oh, forget I'm positioned in the sun. I've lost my position because I'm looking for affirmation. I've been reading. No, no, no. I'm GPS. I'm positioned in the sun. Are you with me? You press your GPS. I am loved in the sun. I am forgiven in the sun. I am blessed in the sun. I'm made whole in the sun. Not in this world. You press your GPS this week. You have a bad day on Monday. What do you do? Press your GPS. I'm trying to help you to equip you. You press your GPS. Another GPS you can press. God's perfect sacrifice. How do I cover my shame? GPS. God's perfect sacrifice. You got it? I press my GPS. I don't feel good enough. No, no, no. GPS. God's perfect sacrifice. I'm made perfect in the eyes of God. Are you with me? You got to press that GPS. I'm not going to press it for you. I can't follow you around all week and say, come on, get your GPS out of your pocket. You forgot where you are. You lost. You're lost, you're putting yourself down. Come on, GPS, God's perfect sacrifice. Oh yeah, I'm made perfect in the eyes of God. Not in my own eyes, in the eyes of God. I'm positioned in the sun, I'm positioned in the uh, the perfect sacrifice. And your last one to remind you that this costs something. It's God's personal sacrifice. It's personal because it hurt and cost him everything for you because that's how much he loves you. It's not a. He's not a God on high who we don't know. He's a God who wants to get personal with you, who understands your pain, your disappointment, your anger, your frustration. Like Peter, like Thomas, like Adam, he understands where we're at. But this is a personal sacrifice that he made himself for you. You need to press that when you doubt God's goodness. My God made a sacrifice, and it was personal because He loves me. I'm pressing my GPS button on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'm reminding myself of my position in God and my place because of who God is, not who I am. Are you hearing it? So my other question we finish with is this. God asks Adam this question. He says, who told you? Who are you going to listen to this week? Are you going to listen to who God says you are? Are you going to listen to your disappointment, what other people might say that are not good? Are you going to say, no, I'm going to listen to my GPS? I'm going to listen to God. I'm going to listen to Jesus. I'm going to listen to the sacrifice that paid for my sin once and for all. Dave, I'm going to if you invite you up. I still get the band up. As the band are coming up, I'm going to read a scripture, and we're going to finish with this. And we're going to worship God because of the sacrifice that he's made. Amen? I'm gonna read descriptions from the Passion Version from Romans, just as the band are coming up, and then we're gonna finish with a song. It says, our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness. GPS, cha-chum, we're made right with God, you got it? Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us and he now declares us flawless. This is Paul writing, who is a sinner, he now declares us flawless in his eyes. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God. All because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. Our faith guarantees us permanent access into the marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. GPS, is a perfect sacrifice and you're made perfect in the eyes of God. This is good news, church. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. But that's not all, that was pretty good. That's not all, there's more. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance and patient endurance will refine our character and proven character leads us back to hope. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That's pretty good, would you agree? There's more. Come on, let's carry on. For even the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners. He's not abandoned us. He's not left us. He's come to us. Who were entirely helpless, weak, powerless to save themselves. Now, who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there is still much more to say of this unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. What you are listening to this morning? Where are you? Are you right in the eyes of God this morning? Let us stand. You are righteous in my sight. Just close your eyes and just think on God. Position your eyes on some of the things I've said this morning about who God is. Just have a moment as I'm reading this. You are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. So if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours you're a friend of God you're not an enemy I'm going to pray and then the band are going to lead us and we're going to worship God and I just want you to open your heart where you're at and just give thanks that the precious blood of Jesus has paid for your sin may it wash through your doubts may it wash through your pain and may you have peace this morning with God because God's made you right with him